So uh, last week, we started a, a conversation that I thought was going to end this week, but it might, might not now end until next week. I have some more kind of revelation that, that I might want to share um, about what it, what it means now, nah, what it means to be Christian. That's a pretty big statement. It's, it's probably less than that, but it has to do with the statement that Paul makes about um, our, our life in Christ being likened to a race. And um, the race has a beginning, the race has a running, and the race has a finish. This is just a little review from last week. The prize for finishing the race, hear me, not the prize for starting the race, the prize for finishing the race is eternal life with God. Now, there's folks that would probably disagree with that theology or doctrine, but I'm pretty sure that not not to argue with anybody but if you if you would wonder that somebody could actually literally start the race you start the race by expressing saving faith start the race and then not ultimately end up with god eternally i i can show you so many scriptures that would would demonstrate that truth so our life with the lord is likened to a race the race has a beginning that's when you would initially express saving faith. It has a running, which is, you know, if you've expressed that faith, that's where you're at right now. You're, you're running the race, and it has a finish. And the finish happens either when Jesus comes for his church and the rapture happens, or when you pass out of this life into the next life. If you're found in faith, in Christ, which would be in faith, then you've finished the race and you've gotten the wreath and you get to be with God forever. We begin the race by expressing to God saving faith. We, we described what that was last week. We run the race maintaining faith, and if we're found to have kept that faith until the finish of the race, we get the prize, the eternal life that is in Jesus Christ. That confession of faith or saving faith involves repent and believe. That's the way Jesus described it. Paul uses the words, confess with your mouth the lordship of Christ and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. It's just different words for the same thing that saving faith is expressed in humble repentance and recognizing that you being the Lord of your life has caused you to be eternally separated from God. Lord being king, master, owner, Sometimes when God really wants you to know I'm telling the truth, he flicks the lights. Now, you notice I didn't flinch. Did you notice that? Like a rock. If the iPad would have shut off, you'd have seen a different response. Why is Pat in the fetal position sucking his thumb? Oh, the iPad must have went off. that we would humbly come to God recognizing that our own lordship over our lives has caused us to be irrevocably, well, not irrevocably, but, but eternally separated from God in such a way that there's nothing we can do to fix it except by the grace he offers us in Jesus Christ. And then agreeing sincerely in our hearts to surrendering to the lordship of Christ over our lives which is another way to express repentance, and then trusting that that sacrifice that was made on our behalf was absolutely all that's necessary to pay the sin debt that we had to God. Saving faith. And then last week we... And these are words that I use. You, you might find other words. You might find better words. Other preachers might use different words, but they really boil down to the truth. So... Um, Living our faith involves contending and fighting, and, and we saw scriptures, the good fight of faith, right? Uh, testing and enduring. Enduring how? Enduring in faith, in Christ. And that faith during the running of the race looks like confessing God, serving God, believing God. I mean, actual believing, you know, not the bigger believe that's faith. Trusting God. And, and, and I made a distinction between believing God and trusting God because we can believe God, or at least think we do, until 
that believing is tested. And then we find out whether we actually trust God. I had that situation, if you remember, uh, after Joe passed away, um, Teresa decided that she she wasn't going to be able to keep her job. She was dealing with the grief of losing her son, the, the, the stress of the traffic, and I would have that back. Okay. So she could not, didn't want to. I'm not saying she couldn't. She probably could have gutted her way through. But, you know, we decided that better that she would be home. And that took our financial situation from a little above, you know, we have this much bills and this much money to we have this much bills and this much money. <laughs> Some of you have had to exercise that faith in the past, I see. So um, I immediately went to the elders of the church, the board, and I said, hey, listen, I, I won't cease to do any of the, the duties of the church, but I got to get a job because we got this much bills and this much money. And they said, okay. One of the elders at the time was Mike Pick. And... Um, I dusted off my resume, and I started making calls. I'm not, hey, do me a favor. Just hook that right. Oh, yeah, just take this one. It's okay. Brief announcement. Okay. This one? Hello? Talking, talking? Talking? Talking. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to have to clip that part out of the recording. So I started to exercise... Mammon, essentially. You can't serve two masters, right? You can't serve God and wealth. I started to serve wealth, not in the sense like, oh, I got to be rich, in the sense that I need to do something because I don't have the necessary thing. After about five days, I, I get a call from Pick. And he says, hey, I've been praying for you, which, you know, God bless Pick. Because um, he was. He, I would know it even if he didn't tell me. And he said, uh, God doesn't want you to get a job. And I'm like, well, I think God could do math as easy as I could do math. And we got this situation that looks like bills and it looks like income. And, you know, and pick, he's like, well, I'm, you know, I don't know about any of that, but I just think God wants you to trust him. So I started praying. I'm like, Lord, I don't understand. And I, I, you know, after five minutes, I forget the details. But essentially, the Lord spoke to me and he said, trust me. So I did. And we've not had any issues. I don't know how that works. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, I do. We've had the miracle before. I mean, the big miracle, right? Kingdom economy, one plus one can equal whatever God says, right? In in natural world, one plus one always going to equal two. But one plus one can equal a million if God decides it's going to. And you can put a dollar and a dollar together, put them in your bank account, and come back tomorrow and there's a million dollars in there because God can do whatever he wants to do. So, so that's kind of the difference between believing God, I believe him, then the test comes, I failed. I didn't trust him. I believed him. I would have told you. I had told you a thousand times. You just need to trust God. You just need to believe and trust God. Trust God, trust God. Then the test comes to me. I need to get a job. <laughs> and I praise God for people that listened to his voice and could come to me and say, Pat, you got to trust God. When you're having worldly thinking, you have to think kingdom. Like this worldly wisdom. This is worldly wisdom. Nobody can argue with it's wise. If you've got a gap, that math just doesn't work. But kingdom wisdom says that gap doesn't mean anything. It means nothing at all. Okay, there's a difference between believing God. You only know if you really believe God, really, when you're tested. And then you find out if you believe God. And then loving God. And the best example of loving God is love your neighbor as yourself. Because God said, Jesus, he said, the, the Bible tells us that the first command, Jesus, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Then, then Jesus said, hey, listen, 
if you love me, you'll obey me. If you don't obey me, you don't love me. So now we have a sense for how do we express love towards God. We express love not, not in this, oh, God, I love you. I mean, that's wonderful. But he says, when I tell you to do this and you do it, I feel love. That's how we express love towards God. And then just after Jesus tells us, if you love me, you'll obey me. But if you don't obey me, you don't love me. That's John 14. In 15, he says, this new command I give you, or this command I give you. So now all of a sudden, he's going to give us an opportunity to express love because he's going to give us a command. And his command is, love others the way I loved you. So do you see how you fulfill love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? You do it by loving your neighbor as yourself. Or better, he upped the ante, love your neighbor as he loves you. So how do we, how do we summarize you know, the running of the race? It's, it's to confess God, it's to serve God, it's to believe God, it's to trust God, and it's to love God. And, and there are nuanced differences between confessing, serving, believing, trusting, loving. But if you throw them all in a pot, what you actually are going to see is faith. That's faith the faith that we express day to day. The final thing I want to just remind you from last week is this. You've got to remember, the race is not against anybody. It's against the race. So there's, there's no prize for being more... There's no... Mm, we, don't, we don't race against each other like a normal race. If I'm going to have a race with you... If I can run faster than you, I win, and you lose. I'm probably not going to win that. I don't think so. I think you might beat me. Doesn't matter. In this race, if you and I are running the race, neither do I anymore. If you and I are running the race, and I see you going off the course a little bit, or let's make you the good guy. You see me going off the course a little bit, you come and get me, and you bring me back. Because the objective isn't to beat me. The objective is that we both finish the race. You finish the race, I finish the race. If we don't finish the race, we don't get the prize. The prize is eternal life with God. Okay, the race is against the race. So we we went through the first couple of things last week. This week we'll start with testing. Let me just say something else. Last week, I'm not saying anything bad about anybody. I'm just telling you. This is what I, I felt like I saw. So I prayed. I said, Lord, I must have not done so good last week because it looked like it was all anybody could do to just stay awake. And, and Patty, I can't remember if she prayed over me or she said something to me. I said, man, I really needed to hear that because last week it was like his, voice, his word doesn't go out without returning, having accomplished what he, what he sent it to do. Amen. And then she showed me her notebook of every scripture that we shared last week. And then she told me the testimony of how applying those scriptures, thinking about them in the morning, had um, impacted people that aren't typically always acting like they love Jesus. So... Amen. Yep. So anyway, that encouraged me. So you can look as sleepy as you want. I'm encouraged and it's going to be okay because God's word won't go out and not come back having accomplished what he'd have it to do. So testing is interesting. If you look in the Old Testament, you see Israel was tested. If you look in the Old Testament, you see what God says after he told Abraham to put the impossible child, the child of faith Isaac, on the altar and offer him to God. And Isaac's about to bring the knife down on the child and he says, stop. He was tested. He said, now I know. Now I know. So testing is part of how God brings his people to him all through the scriptures. So in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, this is the instruction we get. This is written to us. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. So when I talked about testing, like I got tested and I went to dust off my resume and I'm going to go get a job, I failed that test. But I didn't fail the test 
that in the way in the sense that now I don't belong to Jesus anymore, now I'm going to burn up in hell forever. It was a test to show me where I was at. If if I if I would continually be tested in that way and I wouldn't respond in faith, then that might be an indication that I'm not actually in faith and and I need to do something about that. So there's there's kind of the big test of faith and then there's the every day as we go along the testing of our faith. I want you to see that it's important that we test our faith. And if you don't know what the test looks like, sometimes you'll recognize it in the moment. Like, I didn't in the moment, but when I sat with the Lord and asked him, what do you want me to do, Lord? I, I don't understand. He showed me. And, and he used pick to help me so that I could then repent, essentially, from unbelief, from not trusting God. Okay? So you can use those things that I just shared with you as your as you're, as you're testing your faith to make sure that you haven't wandered away. Because a lot of times, you know, the, the devil, he'll get you to wander away. He'll give you good logic that makes sense. Like, hey, we got this much money and this much bills, so I need to go find something to increment the money so that we won't have a problem. That's earthly wisdom. If I don't have the Lord, that's really wise wisdom. But see, I don't live in that world. I live in the kingdom. And in the kingdom... I seek for God's right kingdom and his righteousness. And he says, I don't have to concern myself with meeting my own needs. But I got lured out of faith and picked, the Lord used pick to help me to find my way back into faith. So how do you test yourselves? How about this? Am I confessing God? Am I serving God? Am I believing God? Am I trusting God? Am I loving God? Now you need to know the scriptures to be able to actually determine whether or not you're passing the test, so I'm, I'm, I'm exhorting you to read your Bible. And I, my testimony is going to be reading my Bible, but we'll get to that in just a second. So test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Understand the thing that's being tested, the thing that you test is faith. I don't see any place where anything else is tested but faith. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there's a, there's a process of your faith being tested that develops in you endurance, and then endurance has a work to do, not only that you get to the end of the race, but every step of the way, right? If, if I start a race, I mean... I don't know how to do good analogies on the fly. I start a race, and I look like I do right now, right? And let's say Jesus looks how I wish I looked. And, and I run the race today, and I go to bed, and I get up, and I stand in the mirror, and I still pretty much look like I looked when I started the race, and I run the race the next day, and I run the race the next day, and run the race the next day. And then after the next day, I get up, and I stand and look in the mirror, and I'm like, man, I look a little more like Jesus, and a little more like Jesus, and a little more like Jesus. So the process of running the race is to finish it, because there's no prize if you don't finish the race. But the process of the running of the race should also be transforming us to be more like Jesus. So the tests, when you have a test, it's like, well, why joy? I mean, when I get tested, I hardly ever feel joyful. Matter of fact, I could pretty honestly say I never feel joyful, right? Right? When my toilet doesn't flush, or when it does and it all just comes back, right? some of us are being tested, I, I find little joy in that. So where does the joy come from? When the Bible says consider it all joy, it's like, well, okay. No, you consider it all joy because you understand what is God doing through the test. Not just that you're, you've taken another step in the race, but that you've taken another step towards Christ-likeness towards godliness, as you endure, as your faith is maintained, as you say, doesn't matter whether the toilet flushes, it doesn't matter whether or not my bills are bigger than my income, because you said God, and then faith declares what the Bible says, faith declares what God says, and then you go forward in faith, and now you're running that race, because a race is full of potholes and speed bumps and crazy turns, it's hard to figure out which way to go, that's the testing part of the race. This is a long one, but it's got the word test in here. And it's, it's a, almost like a giant summary scripture 
of, of what we're talking about. So I'll read slowly and, and I'll expound a little bit, but, but hear these words. This is First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me just stop there for one second. He's speaking to Christians, to people, us, to we who have been born again. If you're born again, you're a Christian. If you died in that moment, if you're born again, you go to heaven, right? But he says we've been born again to a living hope. Well, if I'm born again, if I'm born again, and I can die right now, and I'll go to heaven, then it seems like I've, I've accomplished the goal, yet I'm still running the race. The implication is that it's a hope, because in any minute along the running of the race, we might be called to go to be with the Lord if we're not found in that minute. Not like faith, like all oh, Pat thought he needed to get a job to pay his bills, but saving faith. If we haven't actually maintained that place of the Lordship of Christ, and that faith that his debt, right? And there's scriptures that speak to this. 1 Corinthians 15, Galatians chapter 5 speak directly to how a person might lose saving faith. So when Paul, or Peter in this case, says a living hope, it's because it's still a hope until it's actually finally consummated. Make sense? Okay. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, you who are protected by the power of God. So along the running of the race, we are protected in this hope by the power of God. Then it says through faith. So God's protecting us in our faith. The implication then would be outside of faith, We don't have some protection. Faith, it's so important. Okay, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof, the the alternate translation of that word proof is genuineness. So so that you've been distressed by various trials. Remember James, consider all joy when you face trials of many kinds, right? You have been distressed by various trials so that the proof or the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So whenever life's trials, when running the race is so steep uphill, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. How could anybody do this? How many people have you, have you ever heard say, or how many times have you ever said, I don't know how anybody ever got through that without Jesus, right? They don't get through it without Jesus, Right? So, so that moment in time for us is one of those tests and trials. And we rejoice in them because not only is God going to take us through it, God's going to change us through it. So I don't pray anymore for people to be taken out of trials. I pray that they make their way through the trials and that their faith doesn't fail because I understand the process that God is using to not only bring them to the end of the race but also to bring them to be like Jesus. A little bit further back in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Every single time, what gets tested? Faith, 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 faith. You're going to need a dance card because now we all need faith all the time. So testing. 
Now, now let's talk about enduring. That was one of the other qualities that, that I said were needed to be present as we, as we run this race. Again, remember James chapter 1, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, right? Mark 13, 13. This is now Jesus speaking. You will be hated by all because of my name, Jesus' name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The testing of your faith produces endurance. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So, so making it to the end, it almost seems like it demands testing. That same statement, is that's Mark 13, is also in Matthew 10 and Matthew 24. So the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Endures what? All the trials, temptations, and the tests. Endures how? How do you endure? In faith. Endures how long? Till the end of the race. That's exactly right. Hebrews 2.1. For this reason, now it's a different context, but it still works. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Drifting is often... Let me back up a second. James is the one who says, consider it all joy when you face trials for the testing of your faith. He also says a little bit further down that God never tempts anyone because God himself can't be tempted. So we say, well, you know, God is testing me, God is testing me. I I don't know exactly how to package that, but I think it's better to say if God's going to be part of it, he's allowing the testing because there are certain things that he won't allow us, right, into. But life, the race, brings the tests. So, so if, if, you're, if you're struggling with pornography, God is not tempting you to look at pornography as a way of teaching you endurance and, and your, your faith growing because he can't be tempted by that. He never tempts anyone in that way. But you might be tempted in that way because it's part of what comes in the race. That might be the better way to see it. So drifting is often the result of, of how we respond to the test. Um, little failures of faith can lead to bigger problems. And, and essentially, when we get tested... And again, that story I told you, I praise God and I thank him for pick because had I not been checked, I would have gone down that path I was on and I would have found a job and and I would have had probably, you know, no offense to your job, but I probably would have had more money than we had when, when Teresa was working. And then that would teach me something because I could buy some more things. Who knows? And the, the danger from failing the little tests, the little foxes spoil the vine. You know, when the big fox comes, you don't recognize him so well. And then you become hard-hearted. And then you don't recognize the test as a test. You don't recognize the drifting as drifting. You don't, you can get, I mean, we see it all the time. You can get so hard and calloused in your heart that someone will say, hey, whoa, Jesus is over here and you're over here and you can't see it. So, so blowing off the little things isn't a good idea because they're going to lead to the bigger things. It's like, you know, don't smoke marijuana because pretty soon you'll be taking heroin. It's true to some extent. Okay. Now, my personal example and my testimony. I'll try to be quick with this. Uh, I've been reading James. I mean, and I'm reading James like a chapter, three times chapter one. Then I read chapter 1 and chapter 2, then 3 times chapter 2, then chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, and then 3 times chapter 3. But understand, when I read the chapter, it's not like you could just read the words and then you've got through that chapter. I can't hardly get past a sentence where I'm not somehow having to deal with what the Lord is saying to me. So I'm reading, and um, I get to the part where God, through James, is talking about this particularly unruly member of my body. Does anybody know who the unruly member is? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> All of a sudden, as I'm reading about this unruly member, 
I'm hearing the voice of the unruly member, and he's been pretty unruly in a certain situation. I mean, he's pretty good in other situations, but there's a situation in my life where I'm being tested. I mean, I'm, I'm not seeing it as a test yet, just at this point, but, but I'm, I'm having words about a person. And so, I mean, some of you have heard this. Uh, so all of a sudden now I'm aware that this tongue has gotten away from me and it's it's speaking in ways that don't express love at all. Not to the person, but to others. And I say, Lord, I recognize that, that I've I've stumbled away from my faith and I and I've allowed this unruly member to be speaking these things that are displeasing to you, and I'm just confessing it to you, Lord. This is how I my relationship is with God. Way more frequently than I'd like. <laughs> And uh, and I and I can feel God's pleasure in my you know being honest and humble and confessing it to Him. The next thing I, I I feel wanting to come from that unruly member is to tell God that I'm sorry that I did it, but my conscience wouldn't let me because I wasn't sorry. Now that that leads me to the next point of this little testimony of mine in a minute, and I'm like Lord, but I'm not sorry. And I know how wrong it is that I'm not sorry. Except if I told you I'm sorry, it would just, it would just be just air coming out of my mouth. You wouldn't hear it because you know my heart. And, and I'm not sorry. I'm angry. I'm upset. So I spent the next hour or more asking the Lord, begging the Lord, please, Lord, I, I can't see you without a pure heart, and I have an impure heart, and I'm asking you, do something. Make this person attractive to me. Um, make me feel sorry for them, compassionate towards them. Show me something about them that I don't know that would, would cause me to understand why they're acting, how they're acting, so that I can, f- I can tell you I'm sorry, which would lead me then to repentance. And it took probably an hour before I could actually Honestly, you know, in 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 uh, not Romans, First Corinthians twelve. At the very beginning, it says nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, and nobody could say Jesus is accursed except by the Holy Spirit. There's a certain grace that has to come in order for us to actually be like Jesus, and the grace came from the Lord, and I was able to tell him from a pure and sincere heart that I was sorry, and I asked him to grant me repentance that I wouldn't fall back into it, because the situation's no different, right? That I wouldn't fall back into that thing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, James. You know, I didn't get through very much that day. The next day I'm reading, and it speaks to um, wisdom, and it talks about, um, uses the word bitterness, not necessarily in this context, but the word bitterness spoke to me, and it's like, oh, man, same situation, Lord, there's bitterness in my heart. I'm, I'm judging this person. And from that judgment, out come the words. We've dealt with the words because that part came first in James. But we didn't deal with the underlying root of the problem. And I'm, I'm Lord, I've, I've got bitterness in my heart towards this person. And I don't want it. I know it. bitterness towards somebody else is poison towards me. If it was only from selfishness, I have to not have bitterness in my heart. So I'm, I'm going for another hour or hour and 15 or 20 minutes and I'm asking the Lord to help me to truly and sincerely cleanse myself of any bitterness. And it took a long time of praying before I felt like I could, I could say I, I, I have... And the person's not really even doing anything to me directly. It's an indirect kind of a thing. Where I, could, I actually could sincerely say, Lord, I release that person I release any judgment against that person, and then I could actually start praying for that blessing to come to that person. So I'm telling you that you've got to be careful because I'm in the Word every day. I mean, I'm with the Lord for hours every single day, and it didn't take much to let me to get to the place where my heart got junked up towards somebody and the, the, the abundance of my heart was manifested in the words that I spoke and, and until I was reading the scriptures, this is why I'm saying you've got to read the scriptures because I don't know how I would have ever gotten that fixed if the Lord hadn't shown me as I'm reading James. 
And now I can, I can come boldly before the throne. I can draw near to God and he'll draw near to me because I, I, I don't have the pride of I'm going to have judgment and bitterness just because I want to, despite what God says to me. So when it says drift away, I'm telling you, it's not hard to drift if you're not careful. And, and I praise God that even though we can be careful, it, it's in being careful that he helps us to be drawn back to that narrow path that you walk with Jesus. Okay, that was Hebrews 2.1. I had, I, you're probably familiar, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 are these letters that Jesus himself dictates to John, and then he has John write them and send them to these seven different churches. Every one of them, has a sense of of an eternal reward based upon like overcoming. So the one that speaks best for for what we're talking about today is the letter that was written to the church at Smyrna. And this isn't the whole letter, but this just picks up kind of in the part that I want you to see. This is Jesus speaking. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. So he's he's warning Smyrna that they're about to have some some stuff. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for 10 days. I don't know exactly what that means. But then Jesus says this, be faithful unto death. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So the the main point of this is that they're about to experience some kind of pretty substantial testing from Satan himself. And Jesus is warning them. And what he's saying is, be faithful through this test. To the very end, be faithful. And then I will reward that faithfulness with the crown of life. Now, that crown right there, as I understand it, is not the crown that Jesus would wear as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's the crown that's the wreath that Paul speaks to, that you, the reward that you get when you finish the race. So that faithfulness has to last until the end of the race, even through the trials that come. And then the second point I wanted to make, because most people don't seem to be too familiar with this, which I can understand because it's mostly described in Revelation, is this thing called the second death. The second death, I, I preached about this a little bit one time, and I, the, the point I tried to make is everybody dies twice. Everybody, and maybe you, know, you could say if you're raptured, that doesn't, you won't die twice. But let's just say outside of the rapture, everybody dies twice. Unbelievers die twice. Christians die twice. Here's the difference. When a Christian dies the first time, it's to themselves. When you confess the lordship of Jesus and and you're born again, there's no born again without a death. So your death is to you and your resurrection is in Christ. That's your first death. Your second death then is when you actually die from this natural life and you go to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So your second death happens. You're done dying at that point. You're good for all of eternity. No more dying for you, right? But the person who never receives Christ, who chooses to to maintain lordship over their own lives, never trusts Jesus as a sacrifice, never confesses repentance, that person is going to die in this life. That's their first death. Their second death comes when they're ultimately judged at the end of time and they're cast into the lake of fire. That's their second death. So the Christian dies to themselves and then they can die in this physical body, then they're done dying. The natural person without God will die naturally, and then ultimately their second death is when they're cast into the eternal lake of fire. Revelation 20, 14 and 15 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Second death. And then Revelation... um, Revelation 3 and 5, this is one of those seven letters. This one is to the church at Sardis. Jesus, again speaking, says, He who overcomes 
will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. So there's this book. If your name's written in there, you have life. If your name's not written in there, second death, lake of fire eternally. That's just a little bonus. I learned that from you, Margie. That's good. Now, this is Jesus. This is, so, so Pick confronted my stumbling faith. This is Jesus showing us exactly how we do that. Luke twenty-two thirty-one and 32. Peter, Simon, Simon, Jesus speaking. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Satan demanded permission from who? God, I suppose, right? To sift Peter like wheat. God must have granted him that permission. And Jesus did not say, but I went and made an appeal to the Father that he wouldn't let Satan sift you like wheat. Because he agrees with the Father, right? Jesus never doesn't agree with the Father. Never. So if the Father said, let there be sifting, Jesus says, amen. But then Jesus prays to the Father that Peter's faith won't fail. So when you're toil- I'm sorry, you guys are a great sermon illustration right now. It's too bad it's not like your Buick doesn't run, but your toilets don't flush, right? God's allowing the test. My prayer... Well, I am praying for the resurrection of your septic system. But I'm also praying that your faith won't fail, that every area necessary of trusting God, that you won't fail the test, that you'll pass the test. Because Jesus showed me that's the way I'm supposed to pray for something like this. And that's what I'm praying for you, that you won't fail the test. I'd be willing to bet you a dollar to a donut after I hung up the phone with Pick, he intervened, he interceded on my behalf and said, Father, don't let his faith fail. Jesus probably too, right? Because he's at the right hand of the Father. Right, right. Amen. Yep. Amen. I just had some comments. I'll I'll just read them to you. This is how we should pray for one another, the way Jesus prayed for Peter. The trial or the test will come, and it will come for good reason. Because we trust God, because we have faith, the substance of the trial isn't the issue. The issue is faith. Understand? The substance of we don't have enough money to pay our bills wasn't our issue. The issue is, well, we have faith to trust God. The, the issue that, you know, your septic system is rejecting what you send it isn't the issue. The issue is, will you trust? <laughs> you know, a guy can work with poo a thousand different ways, and all, and all the women are like, seriously, there's got to be something better. But you've got to admit, all you guys are thinking this is fun. Talk, okay, I'm sorry. Amen. Amen. Yep, you should have had the microphone there. Okay. Galatians 6 2 doesn't say anything about testing or faith, but it says this bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. I, I think the law of Christ in this context is love your neighbor as I, Jesus, have loved you. Romans 12.2 And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. No words about faith, no words about testing. Why, why do you think I think this scripture belongs in here? So if I'm conformed to the world, here's what I do when my wife quits her job. I get a job. It's not just, you know, sinning and lying and stealing. It's, it's the world's thinking. It's the, it's the mechanisms of the world. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think maybe we could summarize transformation by the renewing of the mind as this. In every area of our being, we have faith. That that transformation is to faith. So I wasn't in faith until I got the call from Pick, and then I went to the Lord, and I went from worldly wisdom to heavenly wisdom, and now I'm expressing faith. So the transformation that happens by the renewing of our mind is that every area of our thinking would express itself in faith, in trusting God, in believing God, in serving God, all those things. That that's when we know a part of our mind has been renewed is when we have faith in that area of thinking. Just my thought. I love 2 Timothy. I say it every time I read from 2 Timothy. But I love 2 Timothy because it's the last letter that Paul wrote. It's the, it's the end of what Paul, Scripture, the, the letters that he wrote. And he wrote that to his son in the faith, this guy Timothy that he loves so much. And, and Paul's about <coughs> done. He's about to be um, martyred. So he doesn't waste a comma when he's writing to Timothy, Right? All my life, you know, I've, I've got children, you know, my son Ryan and I, we've agreed, we've disagreed, you know, I couldn't stand him, I loved him, blah, blah, blah. When I'm laying on my deathbed and Ryan is standing next to me, I am not wasting one word that I speak to my son before I don't have a chance to speak to him anymore. That's what Paul is doing here with Timothy. So the very last substantive statement that Paul makes in that letter to Timothy is this. Paul speaking, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. So Paul doesn't doesn't speak as having already received the crown of righteousness. It's only the righteous that get to be eternally with God. The people that don't get to be with God don't get to be with them because they're not righteous. They can't get righteous without Jesus. When, when they get Jesus, what they get is his righteousness. It's imputed to them. The very perfect righteousness of Jesus is imputed to a man or a lady, and now that person is righteous before God. Now, now Paul has had that ever since the road to Damascus when he encountered Jesus, right? But he understood that he doesn't get the wreath. He doesn't get the final reward until he finishes the race. His crown of righteousness is in his future, which, you know, his, his future in this state is almost done. Why does he get it? Because he finished the race. How did he finish the race to get it? He kept the faith. I sit with Kennard every week, like, I don't know, three hours, three and a half hours. It's so rich. And, and, and God is revealing things to Kennard. But Kennard doesn't have the language like the revelation has come into his heart from the Lord, but the English language he doesn't have, so he can share it with me in a way like, you know, he's, he shares with me this stuff, and, and I'm like, Ooh. and it's not that I can't receive. It, 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 I mean, it could be a little bit, but it, it's, and he says it all the time. He's like, gosh, I just don't have the words. I don't have the words to express what the Lord is showing to me. And I understand because in the process of doing this work, 
The Lord shows me stuff, and then I come and try to show it to you. Most of the time, it's not stuff you don't already know, but it's stuff that it's good that we get reminded about these things. That's what Peter said in, in the beginning of Second Peter. It's like, I'm, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know, but I think it's good that you hear it again and again and again. And, and I feel like when I read the Scriptures, that's why, Patty, it blessed my heart that you took the Scriptures and you, and you started to meditate on them and chew on them because that's how it gets in me, but then I, I don't have the words but the scriptures have the words. The, the life is in the scriptures. So I read you a thousand scriptures because that's the words that matter. I expound on them a little bit because it helps me when people expound on them. But the point is, if you don't go read these scriptures, if you don't eat his flesh and drink his blood, if you don't dine on his word, he says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. When I read my Bible, I say that's what that is. Lord, you're about to feed me the most nourishing meal that I could ever eat because it's your word and it's absolutely true and, and it teaches me and it guides me and it's, ugh. So I don't know whether this is like, oh, that was pretty interesting stuff or whatever, but you've got to understand, you don't, pos- I mean, you know, you could argue the Holy Spirit, but you don't have him without faith. You've got to understand the most valuable, precious thing you own is your faith and you need to guard it with your life because without it, you don't have life. It's more precious than gold. Somebody could say, hey, listen, Carmen, you're my guy today. You and Steve and Shannon, you're my guy right now. Carmen, I will give you a million dollars for your faith. And, and Carmen would say, well, you know, a million dollars is pretty good, but nope. Right? Yeah, right. Listen to your wife. Carmen, I'll give you $10 million. I'll give you $100 million. I'll give you a billion dollars. You're like, you don't have 10 cents, so it doesn't, I'm not tempted at all. But let's pretend I did. I'll give you $10 billion for your faith. Think about it before you answer. Think about $10 billion. Think about what you could do with that. Think of all the good you could do with that, right? What did Satan say to Jesus? Satan said to Jesus, come on up here on this high, high place. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. They belong to me. I'll give them to you. You give me your faith, right? You just bow down and worship Satan. And you can have it all, Jesus. There's an easier way. You know what's coming, Jesus. You know what's coming. You get your beard pulled out. You're going to get spat upon. They're going to jam the crown of thorns into your head. They're going to strap you to the whatever they strap you to. They're going to take that cat of nine tails and rip the meat off your back, Jesus. They're going to drive spikes through your hands and through your feet, Jesus. And you're going to have to pull up against those things with your back against that rugged cross, Jesus, all bloody and hurting, just to be able to take a breath, Jesus. And in the process of all that, Jesus, guess what? I'm going to, your father is going to pour his wrath out on you. That wrath that was earned by every person that's spitting on you right now as the payment for their sins. Jesus, how about this? Why don't you just worship me? And you can have this all. You don't have to go through any of that stuff. How about that, Jesus? See, that's the conversation that's happening every day when the world comes to see you. That's the conversation that's happening every single day when your wife needs to leave her job and that changes your financial situation. That's the conversation that comes to you when you're building a house and you, you, you did the spreadsheet and it's like, well, Keith didn't because that requires a computer. But, you know, you took your pencil and you, you did a little ciphering and you found out that, wow, the house, the house is more than the money. And God says, yeah, and take the money and give it to the whites because they can't flush their toilets. It's faith. It's trust. It's the testing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I thought about your shirt, by the way. There's, there's like, I know they're not tigers, but, you know, the, the, the enemy prowls around yes. like a lion, right? But you prowl around with the lion because the lion of Judah is inside of you. So, argh, amen. Come on, sister. You've got your good growly lion of Judah shirt on. I'll leave you with this. In John, right, John, the apostle John, In chapter 16 of his gospel, verse 33, Jesus speaking, John recording, these things I have spoken to you so that in me, in faith, in Jesus, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. Guess where we are today? We're in the world. Guess what we're going to have? Tribulation, just how it is. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Well, that's good, right? 
But sometimes it feels like I'm having to overcome the world. Right? But then that same guy, John, wrote this in his first epistle, first John, chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Well, that's me. I'm a whatever. I'm born of God. I'm born again. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the, fi- the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. How do you overcome the world? Your faith. The world says this. What does your faith say? The world says this. What does your faith say? The world says this. What does your faith say? Your faith is what overcomes the world. Did you have something, Kennard? Take the stick. I'll get it for you. The important is to be able to do this, what Pat is talking about, to overcome and to go through these trials, to rejoice in it, is that personal experience with God that we have been offered, so that our lives are filled with experiences with God, because experiencing God gives us confidence and faith through all situations. I read something this morning that both encouraged me and kind of discouraged me. I was talking to my wife about it, but to Linda. I read something, and I, and I, I really appreciate it. But I turned to Linda, and I said, you know, I, I read this. I read it to her. I feel sometimes like I've maybe missed God, that he was doing something that I didn't do. Four years ago at this time, I was sitting in a prison for a, a charge that is now ruled unconstitutional. But anyway, there I was. I spent six months in prison. I don't know if you knew that or not. And anyway, um, I'm an ex-convict. You like that? I, I like that. I say, <laughs> please, so what? So, boy, I should develop that, shouldn't I? Why I say, so what? In the world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's in me. That is my mindset. That's my heart. I care less about the world, what it thinks. I don't care about their judges, their cops, their laws. That doesn't mean anything to me. I'm a member and a citizen of the kingdom of God. When I leave here, this body falls away. I am going to see him as he is. So, anyway, back to my story. I was in prison. And the Lord had been talking to me out of the scriptures. I'm telling you something. If you don't know what the scriptures say, you don't know God. Somebody say amen. Yeah, say it loud. Amen. If you don't know what the scripture says, you don't know God. You have a concept that God is, maybe, until times get tough. And then I wonder. The scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. The problem is, oh gosh, Pat, the problem is, is that our focus is on this life. And when your focus is on this life, you can't see the kingdom of God. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus sits there and tells his disciples what it means to be a disciple. And all he's doing is showing them how to lay down the focus on this life so that they can see the other life. That's the only reason he told them that. Take no thought for your life. Why? Because if you do, you won't be able to see the other life. That's why I just said to Stephen Shannon this morning, you must believe to see the glory of God in this situation. This is not some terrible thing that's happening to you. God's in the middle of it. Let him show you every day his glory. So the Lord had been talking to me out of the scriptures about the right hand, holding the right hand. Well, I'm laying in that prison. Actually, it was a wonderful experience. It really was a good experience. Six months. I could have been up to three years. It was crazy, but there I was, and all the time, every day, God woke me up in the morning talking to me, talked to me all day long, revealed things to me that were deeper than I can speak, but one day, 
laying on my bunk, just meditating on the Lord, he did this. I felt it. He took my hand. Just like you feel my hand, I felt his hand. So this morning, after I spoke to Linda, the Lord reminded me, actually reminded me, sitting back here, don't you remember? I have your hand. You can't go away from me. This Jonathan is not going away from Dad, I'll tell you that right now. It's not going to happen. Dad has him. Dad has me. So I'm without care. I have no consciousness of sin, right, wrong, anything like that. I don't have that. It's not part of my thinking. It's been changed. I'm a son of the living God. And he's with me. And he's got my hand. I know it. Isn't that exciting? That was a little experience with God, Carmen. It's all mine. It didn't come in the busyness of my day. It came when I was set apart. I had no choice in the matter. Now, I have set myself apart for 43 years. And I spend time every day with the Lord. But this was something much bigger that he was right in the middle of. And I had, oh, actually, six or two years, really, because they put me on parole and put a tether on me so I couldn't move. Exciting. Anyway, he spoke to me day in and day out. I had this precious time with God. That's all it was. It was a time on the Isle of Patmos, as far as I'm concerned, that God revealed himself to me. So I said all that to say this. Spend that time with God in the scriptures. Cut out something out of your day that doesn't matter, which is most of it, which is your day, and give it over to God. Get in a word. Learn the scriptures. They will make you wise in the salvation. Number two, have experiences with God. Don't try to save yourself about such stuff like that. Don't try to save yourself in this thing. He's going to save. It's too big. He's going to save. You're going to have relationships with him and experiences. One more word. Pat talked about who he endures to the end shall be saved. I read it this morning, right? All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we usually, we usually figure out being saved as, yes, I'm going to heaven someday. Well, that's true. But the word saved there is deliverance. Let me ask you a question. Do you need to be delivered in this? You don't? Well, I hope... <laughs> I need to be delivered at times. When there's not enough money to pay the bill... I need to be delivered. Nancy, is it true? Got to be delivered. That's saved. He constantly saves you. Let him do that. They who call upon the name of the Lord, call upon his name. Put him, turn to him first, not somebody else, not something else. Turn to him first, and he'll save you. <sighs> That's what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Oh, you know, I could go on until tonight and tomorrow morning, so anyway. Yes, Pat knows I can. On Monday night. Guys, by the way, <laughs> listen, you got to help me on Monday night, man. I take off, and one scripture after another comes to me, and I just keep moving. And that's how I were there. <laughs> so look at me sometime when you realize he's gone too far. Just do this. Get, get my attention, and I'll shut up, okay? I've told Pat to do that. I want you to do that, too. Amen. So, so I'm, I'll, I'll close here with this. During worship today, I was thinking about some of this, and I heard the Lord say, and lo, I will be with you always. So when Jesus is about to leave, he's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father, he gives this command, go into all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always. So we're all running the race, and, and, I, and we're all experiencing different parts of the race. And if you're at 
a place in the race where it feels like it's all uphill, understand that he's with you always. And understand that he's given you me and Keith and Patty and Jacob and Faith and each other. He's given us each other to help us up the hill, over the pothole, so many things. Like I wish my sons, Joe and Ryan, one of the things I wish was that they would, they would ask me, Dad, you know, where's the potholes? Because I don't think I missed any of them. And, and I could tell them. I could give them the wisdom of an older man. It's like, hey, you know what? Don't go that way. It's just it's not going to be a good end for you that way. We have each other. So, so if you're at a place where the road is smooth and, and the breeze is nice, awesome. But as you're running that, look for your brother or sister who might be at a different place of the road. Because they might not always ask, right? Sometimes we even get ashamed and embarrassed because we're in a test. And maybe even you're not doing so great in the test. The issue isn't to judge each other. The issue is to love one another and to help each other so that everybody finishes the race. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let me just do this. Father God, we thank you for that food that's across the